Welcome to another episode of Scouting for Growth. In an era where digital communication is the bedrock of professional interaction, sharing, interpreting, and engaging in documents significantly impacts our efficiency and comprehension. Today, I am joined by a visionary at the helm of revolutionizing the traditional document experience. Alec Sivilenko, the CEO and co-founder of Relay2, brings to the table a compelling narrative of how transforming mundane PDFs and presentations into interactive web experiences is not just an upgrade, but a necessity. The career that maps across tech behemoths like Microsoft, Salesforce, and SAP to laying the cornerstone of management consulting firm, Glocal Partners, Alex's journey is a narrative of relentless innovation. His academic laurels, an MBA from Stanford and executive education at Harvard, further accentuate his profound understanding of the technological and business landscapes. Since its inception in 2017, Relay2, under Alex's stewardship, has not only garnered significant funding, but also witnessed remarkable revenue growth, marking its stance as a formidable player in the digital communication world. His global outlook, shaped by his extensive travels, across countries and the rich tapestry of professional experiences renders Alex a vanguard in the realm of digital content innovation. Today's discourse will weave through Alex's entrepreneurial voyage, his insights on leadership, the genesis and trajectory of Relay2, and a gaze into the future of digital content experiences. As someone with a finger on the pulse of tech-driven communication announcements, Alex's perspectives to our dialogue will bring both foresight and actionable intelligence on harnessing interactive content management platforms like Relay2. Join me as I delve into a stimulated conversation with Alex, exploring the contours of digital document and content innovation and its incredible impact on the market landscape. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, subscribe, download, and rate this podcast as well. So through this dialogue, I aim to unmask the potential of interactive AI-led content management platforms in reshaping entrepreneurship and enterprise communication, and how leaders can leverage this technology to foster better engagement within the world of digitalization. Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Uh, you bet, Sabine. I'm excited to be here. Always excited to connect. Yeah. You. So, you know, I, I prepared uh, a little bit of a discussion with you um, 
which will go through your past and why how you actually set up relate you. But so my, my first question to you, Alex, and you have an impressive track records. I mean, when I reviewed your um, LinkedIn CV, I could see you work with global companies such as Microsoft, Salesforce, and SAP. What ultimately motivates you to take the leap into entrepreneurship and build your current company? Hmm. Well, I, I, I tend to think that sort of entrepreneurship tends to call on you, you know, and uh, in a lot of uh, in a lot of callings, it's just you see um, you you kind of you may have some of your own needs, but in my case, probably it was the the probably just the the opportunity that I saw and the need that I saw in the market, and I experienced it in my own skin. And you mentioned some of the companies that I worked with. So the the funniest. Um, Thing is that my very first proper job was an internship at Microsoft Office, launching Office uh, 97 at the time, and their internet wow. capability. Yeah, so I'm dating myself here. And uh, and what what this thing that I discovered there was my job to look at this thing called the PDF, and why it was taking over PowerPoint and Word as the last mile, the medium that actually touches. The customer uh, that wants to read a particular document or presentation, right? Whether it's on the website or or even something you send to them. And looking back, uh, you know, through my career, we always ended up kind of creating things in either some sort of Adobe Creative Tool or PowerPoint, then saving it as a PDF and hoping people have this rich, engaging experience with our ideas, which was. Um, really unrealistic because the medium was meant for print, wasn't meant for digital consumption. And so right now in, in relation to why I leaped into the entrepreneurship is I saw that nothing is changing and I was just able to see that, hey, the same thing that PDF did once upon a time to Word and PowerPoint, it didn't kill them. It just created a better medium you know, for reading something precisely printed. Now that very few people read precisely printed materials, we could do that to the PDF. We could take a PDF and optimize it for the world that we live in today, which is mobile and digital and interactive and engaging that, you know, where the storytelling is a really important um, capability. And PDF kind of is great for print, but obviously we can some of that. And so that's where I'm telling you the story of relate to, but I think for me, the story of entrepreneurship is deeply connected to the story of what I, why I found it relate to and why we built it, because I saw that nothing has changed over my entire career and somebody needs to, you know, step up and, and do the difference. And so that's, that's the mission of relate to and why it's really deeply personal to me uh, to unlock the power of our storytelling. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's interesting because you know, often entrepreneurship is rooted into a value, a belief, um, something which is not working effectively. And I think it's very important to qualify the market you're into, which I call experiential document management platforms. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe there's other terms, and it might be good for you to explain the space you're in to our listeners, right? Because it's, at the end of the day, it's about experience. It's about yeah. um, driving a unique engagement between what is happening out there and synthesizing it in a visual manner to make it much more appealing to its reader. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if I if I take a quick step back, you know, we could talk about the terms, but I want to talk about the trends, right? Like first. So we we mentioned the the PowerPoint. And by the way, PowerPoint was great. It was the first product that democratized kind of some kind of storytelling for the masses. There's, you know, obviously a billion users of PowerPoints, ton of them created. And so and you know, there's Adobe InDesign, for example, did that for professional desktop publishing. So there's this generation of tools that was just about, okay, we're going to enable creation, whether it's like very basic in PowerPoint or more sophisticated in Adobe. And then the second generation of desktop kind of productivity or in general productivity came around collaboration. And so we all talk about using Google Docs and Google Slides. And, you know, maybe, you know, if you're more sophisticated design for products, it's Figma. You know, so they're collaborative tools. And the third generation, and that's the generation that we're advocating, and that's what you mentioned by the, using the word experience, is fundamentally it's about the consumer of your content, right? It, you know, we know that if you use PowerPoint or Google Slides to create a bunch of bullet points and collaborate on those bullet points, it doesn't necessarily mean that at the end of all that creation and collaboration, the consumers want to read a bunch of text on the slide, you know, with ugly bullet points, right? But if you start take a step back, what do they want to do? What you know, that is where like the wave that we're working on on now, right? And then you could collaborate and create efficiently to create what does the end recipient of your communication want? And increasingly, they want a conversation. They don't want to be like pummeled with information anymore. They want to be able to engage. They want to make the interaction their own. They want to choose the adventure that they go on. So that's the big picture of the medium that we're advocating is a consumer-centric medium. And so you could call it a content uh, experience. Um, you could call it you know, interactive documents, interactive experiences. Uh, but the fundamental core to it is that they're consumer-centric. They start with the end recipient in mind. And in the process to make that process efficient, we tend to use AI. We tend to use no-code software. And you know that SaaS is another word that's software as a service. And those are buzzwords for technology people, but ultimately like in, for investors. And they kind of go, oh, great, Alex, you're building AI-powered interactive content. Amazing, come, you know. But you know, the, the for the real people. And that's what we really care about is like, how do you as a recipient actually get to engage with important complex ideas? And how do you as a sender communicator, how do you create the types of experiences worthy of your mission, worthy of your message, worthy of your audience that shows them respect? And that that's where that's there's no category name for that. But, uh, yeah. you know, we're we're working through that. <laughs> Consumer-centric business content, maybe customer-centric yeah. business content. Well, I think it's interesting because you have also talked about a lot of trends and patterns affecting the world of technology to serve the customer. And it's important to remember that the customer is in the center of everything we do, the customer, the user, whoever becomes a member or mm -hmm. uh, a paying um buyer of a service and often you know when you look at SaaS model you have a freemium model 
And you also have a paid model, which allows some users to become advocates and enable mm-hmm. you to refine your products and those who are using it on a permanent basis. But I think it's important to highlight some of the terms you use. Democratizing a lot of technology today or enablers to of, of solutions, technology solutions will look to democratize those solutions, like you mentioned, the PowerPoints at some point in time, mm-hmm. the PDF at some point in time. And now the way you are driving experience through making uh, communication much more effective. But it's also about understanding the how you simplify that communication by using technology, which allows you to drive that software as a service model. And so for mm-hmm. me, as a serial entrepreneur, you know, how, what have been your your joys and you know the, the joy of experience building related to and the challenges mm. you've seen over the path because you are working with your cross industry, you're working with finance, you're working mm. with me manufacturing, you are working with insurance, mm. you're working across the board. Yeah. So what has been those big challenges and joys you have experienced over your, your journey, Alex? Yeah. Well, as you can have probably felt, like we just, we're deeply passionate about what we're building. So it's a privilege. It's a joy to to work in something that you really believe in. Um, and, you know, if you think of like, OK, so PDF was the way we would present a book, for example, right? Like the closest, like originally kind of notion of like some something that goes right into PDF right before print. Um, and that's the way it's often, you know, the ebooks, the white papers, et cetera, presented. We are reinventing the book. Right, the particularly the technical book, the the complex book, the the more not the maybe nonfiction book, right? Like that that you know, let Hemingway be Hemingway, right? Like, but since I'm not a Hemingway, and you know, as as much as I would like to, you know, write well, um, you know, I think we could kind of help people still, you know, give them some extra uh, super weapons as communicators to get their important message across, and that's really rewarding, right? Because I think probably deep inside back to like your your own kind of if we if we all look at ourselves as you know we always sometimes we had an idea right and we wanted to what you know we wanted we thought it was a good idea we probably did some research we probably even talked to a lot of people got this idea but then the, when the the pivotal moment came when we had to introduce that idea in either through written communications visual communications or in person um maybe people didn't buy into this idea very well, right? Maybe they got distracted by some like avoidable errors in communications. And um, and so like this great idea, this great research, this great passion, this, you know, maybe something that's really profound and had the potential to change the world for better, gone nowhere. It just died. Like the, the you just, Kind of because because maybe of the medium not being sufficient, right? And so for us, for me personally, it's just a privilege to help people bring their ideas to life, increase the chances of good ideas winning. And typically, the tragedy uh, of modern day business and medium is that the more valuable the idea, the more important idea for for humanity progressing for company progressing for for individual career progress the worst it's communicated right this the most silliest the trivial ideas you know you, you have a ton of clickbaity 
optimize communications around them, you know, the ads that get you to buy the stuff you don't need and, you know, solve the problems you don't really have that, that feed on you. Those are optimized, right? Because there's large consumer forces, consumer centric marketing forces driving towards that. But the important things, the things that, you know, insurance protects your family or protect your company, like you, you sometimes just overwhelmed with that information. You make suboptimal decisions. Or if you're, you know, if you're the insurer, the provider of that message, it may, it may just not hit the mark and not get people, you know, to understand how it can help them solve their problems. So for us, that's the, the I guess, the joy, fundamental joy of creating something that helps other people create, right, and create things that are important, that are meaningful. The second part of your question is, what are the challenges? Um, I I would say there's a ton of there's a ton. Like I think most people that start up entrepreneurial adventures probably underestimate how difficult it is uh, to to pursue it. There there are technical challenges in a technology driven company like ours. We did we underestimated how difficult it is to transform an analog format like a PDF into a true digital experience. Because it turns out there's like gazillion varieties of PDFs from like thousand page books to one page infographics to presentations to cards and so on. And so it took us a while. And I guess now it's a great thing because it's defensible and very hard to comic. But it's it took us a while just to get the basic technology of transforming, uh, like, you know, all varieties of PDF and other static content into HTML5 ready to go digital experiences. And then I think on the emotional journey, and we could dive into that, um, I think there's like tremendous joys of partnering with customers and you know early adapters like yourself, you know, people that are kind of excited to get an edge, could try new communication mediums. Um, but but I think um, you know, that balances obviously with um you know, hey, something that doesn't work, the, the product is evolving, you know, especially in those early, early years, you're kind of getting more, a lot more on the vision than on the reality of what you can deliver. And I think now we're at a stage where the, the original vision, uh, like, has cut up with the product and it's really, it's really fantastic. But, you know, it was painful at the beginning, right, where we tried to experiment and see what actually delivers the value and we had to hack it versus build it out because we wanted to kind of develop minimal viable things that are real before overbuilding it. And, but that's an iterative process. It's not like, oh, this is an overnight success. Uh, so it's a long discussion, but I hope that gives up two flavors of, of kind of the, the challenges and the, the joys of, of helping builders build. Yeah. So I think it's very important to um, highlight to our listeners that um, you have been shaping, scaling, growing, Relate2 now for over seven or eight years. And I was very fortunate to use the first version of Relate2 when I was at Startup Bootcamp. So a lot of our reports became very visual experiences for yeah. our readers on the website. And so um, it's important also, Alex, to actually explain how long it has been taking the journey also to yeah. change minds, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... Uh, this is sort of what, what I'm discovering, especially in businesses like ours, where there is a creation element, which which could take your product into multiple directions versus, versus the workflow, where you could sort of have limited workflows. Creativity is unlimited. So what we 
um, what we found is the first version, like we first built Relate to as a side project was in uh, Glocal Partners, you know, which is a company that, I, that I've kind of also started and it didn't work, <laughs> you know, like basically plain and simple, or if it worked, it wasn't scalable. And then the second version of Relate to, we kind of got a, you know, th that's where we got this insight um, that, okay, we can actually, instead of building new documents from scratch, what if we take, you know, PDFs and presentations and really transform them in, you know, uh, that started working, but it was, it was also like a almost tech enabled service at the beginning. And we were very fortunate to have a few um, enterprise customers that helped, you know, deliver and, you know, pay for R&D basically for that service, uh, but also kind of have some early adapters like yourself that kind of were uh there were willing to give it a give it a go and then only like like in, in, you know now we're like a real proper SaaS and ai powered company um but in, it's interesting that like when you look at the some of the companies that are used at least for the content creation universe and people that build websites probably know a company called webflow which is a content management system modern content management system also pioneer and no code well it turns out there were three versions of webflow you know, before the Webflow that we know built by the same founders and they kind of all took that learning to build the version that that we know. And it turns out that Figma, which is another company that people know, actually took many, many years before I even had a product out there. So we were doing it in the in the in the real world. They were kind of behind the scenes just trying to build the product. And then Canva started as a yearbook many years before Canva. And so um, if I look at the sort of the people that are trying to democratize content, they tend it's a it's a it's a project side project for many years, right? And so for if Figma democratized graphic design, it was many years before they actually got sorry the product design. It was a long process. Canva democratized graphic design, long process. We're democratizing interaction design at relate to, and I don't think we would have understood what to do and had a unique take had we not had that journey where we were kind of experimenting and saying, hey, I built something for myself, even I can't use it, right? Then the next step was like, hey, I built something for myself. Other people seem to like the end output, but the way to get there is too complicated, right? And, you know, we can only do it for them. And then finally, you kind of get to something that actually does really democratize. And that's, um, that's magic, but it's not an overnight uh, success. Yeah, no, I get that. So I want to go into leadership and management now, Alex. Mm. And uh, you have led and built amazing teams over the years. And in different countries, it's very important to know that today you're in the United Kingdom, but you've been uh, in different industries. You have actually worked in many different countries as well. How would you describe your leadership and management style? I think it's changing to the world that we live in a lot more. So I think, you know, I obviously started in the world where it wasn't more in person and worked or, you know, got the grounding in kind of Silicon Valley uh, uh, software innovation kind of culture, whether it's, you know, being at Salesforce, right? It was going public or at success factors from earlier stages to going public, to exit, to SAP and so on. And those were the types of organizations that I think um, uh, rely on a kind of strong community building, both internally and with customers. Uh, a lot of it physical, right? Like Dreamforce is a well-known event. 
we at Success Factor did the same. We had a chance to develop deeper relationship with customers. And that really appealed to me, um, you know, as a, as a person and success factors, if you kind of look up what they do, their original focus when I joined was helping people and companies perform better. It was employee performance management. So obviously, as a leader, if you're if you join a company that helps, you know, optimize performance, you care about that. You care about people. You care about these ideas. But in the current world, now we are like virtual first environments. And while we have pockets right, you know, team in Latvia that sits, you know, close to each other in, in London, the hub, et cetera. But if you have pockets and you're really building virtual first, I think you need to work extra hard, extra hard to create a, an inspiring culture. And I don't think we've figured out all the answers, but we do certain things that allow people to bring themselves to work. And, you know, some of the favorite meetings that we have is when people share their stories. And like one of the best um, examples when everybody went around and it took us several meetings because there's so much goodness around that of telling a story where they overcame a challenge. And, you know, you really connected with people. People open up, even in a virtual setting, and, you know, started feeling a sense of community, a sense of common points, even though you may have somebody in Philippines and Latvia and Ukraine, uh, they find they find common common areas. So I think it's being real, not being afraid of the personal uh, and creating uh, these environments where people do get to, you know, share of who they really are, bring their, you know, pets and families and, you know, other things that are important to the music into the meetings, into the environment, into Slack to liven it up a little bit. Yeah. And as you said, today, we all have to be adaptive leaders. Um, as you highlighted, we are, for many of us, we are technology-driven, working in technology-driven environment, even though we may be supporting very specific industries, we have remote teams. And so adaptability and flexibility and learning to to work and achieve outcomes, right? Because I think it's about setting the right outcomes becomes really critical. So for you, Alex, what are some of the really best practices you're actually implementing when you make decisions as a CEO and a leader within Relate to? Well, again, if you think of Relate to, we're, well, I would say earlier stage technology, technology innovation is important. And also we are, tend to be of the of the opinion that raising a ton of venture capital money and then spread it, wasting it is not a great idea. Now it's becoming more accepted wisdom, uh, but it was a little, it was quite a bit contrarian when we were starting out because with somebody with my background, you can can raise money, but it just, we chose to, to be lean and scrappy and resourceful. And so that was the fundamental kind of first founding principle is like, what can we do was a small team. What can we do to allow capable people that may not have tons of experience in the particular space, but have the right maybe DNA for the sort of global Silicon Valley environment who are kind of go-getters, go create an environment where they are not being held back, where they can thrive and they could kind of show what they're capable of. And uh, we created, um, to support that, we created a really unique program. We call it Internpreneur. Uh, where it's kind of intern and entrepreneur kind of coming together. And so it's for people who may want to test, you know, what, what it's like to do their own startup. And some of some have gone on, done that and have gone on and started their own companies and raised capital. 
some were like Stanford MBA students that took a gap year off and, you know, join us for adventure and then are doing their own entrepreneurial adventure. So, and some are people that really have no experience and they, but they feel like they will want to be a graphic designer, you know, designer becomes a UX UI designer. And so we provide a platform for them to do that. So that was fantastic opportunity and way to really help people shape the, you know, shape the company, even though they are kind of at Zuckerberg age when he started Facebook. The second thing that we've done um, uh, that on the leadership side, that's kind of from the very beginning, um, we are uh, a kind of a company of founders, right? Like kind of relates to the intern program, but literally our CTO, Rat was a co-founder and, and CEO of his own startup previously in interactive e-learning space. Our head of content, you know, was, you know, had his own uh, graphic design business, then had his own other business and kind of in, in other areas. And so he is kind of just a serial entrepreneur and he brings that entrepreneurial energy. Our, um, our, our kind of one of my colleagues from Success Factors was one of the first people at Success Factors, uh, then used the exit money to build his own uh, business. You know, you know, now he's he's joined us. So I feel like that creates um, extra demands to not control people too much, right? Like I may have a vision, I may have an opportunity uh, to in inspire people, but it, it's like we are co-creating as a team. And and frankly, we're even co-creating with our customers, right? Like, you know, because we want to really build something that the the best advocates and champions of the business tend to be customers. I just spent some time with one of them in Dublin. Uh, Will, from uh, managing director of SaaS Doc, which is kind of a leading SaaS conference uh, and platform in Europe. And I like it was really shocking to me, but he could describe Relay to better than I could in, in, even in this call because he is just as a user, he has a better way of kind of figuring out what's important to them or articulated. He doesn't go into the details that I might. And so, so back to kind of how do you create an environment that allows junior people to progress and, and not feel like they're junior? How do you allow experienced folks to feel like we're co-creating, we're on a joint mission? And how do you allow this to not just be internal culture, but a culture that's fundamentally driven uh, by customers who inspire us and challenge us and you know help us move the business jointly forward so it becomes their baby and we like to name features not after ourselves and some inspiring things but like hey this is a this is a sub feature or, hey this is a um you know the, the, we built it based <laughs> awesome. on the customer input and i think that just reminded in our team meetings one of the most important cultural things is if you're doing a zoom you kind of yeah. have all internal faces. So we we actually have a face of a customer and we call it really to customer in search of wow. And that joins as a separate participant in our team meeting. And just to remind everybody that we're not here to please ourselves and celebrate for ourselves. Uh, we're here solving for the customer. And so that's, yeah, that's a little awesome. bit about our culture and leadership style. That's super. Uh, and I think it's a great tip, actually, to, to put a picture of a customer to actually create that wow factor. I think it's a great way to, to trigger the brain 
to actually focus on that, that person, that individual, and always serving him or her. You also highlighted um, as part of this uh, community, you know, taking care of younger people, taking care of uh, more mature people, but it's about the collaborative aspect of work. So I would love to for you to share who are your best customers and how are you making their lives really unique with the platform? Um, well, we can't say all of who are all of our best customers. Obviously, oh, some no, of them are large enterprises. But but I will say this: that um, you know the the again, again, how do you define best? Right, like something for like motivating our team. We have one customer, one of the largest life sciences companies in the world. Um, they're they're bringing to 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 market a a new um, new medicine that's going to help deal with a condition that is prevalent, right? You know, again, without going to too much discipline, diabetes too, right? And so, uh, like, if you're launching, helping launch a customer, something that could help your grandma or your uncle or your your other, your kind of, your, your friend deal with the condition because it's going to get faster to the, to market in your country, this is just super inspiring. So like one of the things, like one of the definitions for us for best customers is customers whose mission we back. We feel this is going to do good in the world. They're like deeply, they they're, they care. They're not like, so we try to avoid or block relate to from customers who are creating the things that are spammy and are not adding value. And we are proud of customers with worthwhile missions, be they a large technology company large life sciences company, large nonprofits, and so on. Um, so that's one kind of underlying thing in the back to like why we're here. Why did we start the company? It's, it's not just to bring any idea in the world. We, we like to get the good ones in. Um, and so the second thing, obviously, for us, right, we find that um, uh, when we were starting out, we took an unusual path somewhat, and we found uh customers that um were larger institutions because we thought like hey where are the pdf where is the, the most pdfs and powerpoints well it's it's you know startups have them everybody has them but the large organizations have the largest volume of content so we wanted to learn from them and we picked uh two um you know the first partners but they became customers um one is salesforce one is accenture and if you think of Salesforce, they kind of create Disneyland for business to business, you know, uh, communications or a customer centric company. Uh, and so their content is beautiful and thoughtful. And so it was very natural uh, for us to kind of try to learn from somebody who already knows how to do that. And if you think of Accenture, similar thing, you know, slightly different focus in the technology industry, but Accenture was the first company to do TV ads for B2B, you know, you know, and so they kind of they're consumerizing the enterprise. And so their content also looks, you know, very professional and and you know, it has a, like a lot of substance to it. So we we uh, in addition to you know earlier stage companies, but we kind of worked with those uh companies and and they obviously had a bit more budget than a startup would. And so it helped us uh, co-create the platform with them. I think there's a risk there, right? Like, because if you go with a very large company that may not be uh, as necessarily adapted to self-serve mode in all the times, right? Like they may go, okay, well, why don't you create a premium service 
for us and do it for us. And so we, um, what we've learned is that within the, even the, within the large companies, their teams, they're a lot more open to self, like self-serving. They're small teams that are sort of highly, you know, uh, self-sufficient. And I think as our product matured and it became easier to support anyone, like without a lot of work, that we kind of we 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 tend to prefer to uh, teams that are that are kind of want to create themselves, want to take the control back of their creation, don't want to rely necessarily on an agency or even on on us to do to do things. I love uh, that I, actually, Alex. Right, yeah. I love that because yeah. you are talking. We talk about democratization, and now you are talking about industrialization and self-serving. So addressing the need of different um, target audience. And I think it's important here to spend a moment understanding you. We are serving the big companies, but you're also serving the smaller teams and smaller companies too. Yeah. And so once you say, well, I serve the big companies, but I can I, I try to do it at a level of a you know small team or even an individual sometime, right? Like a lot of entrepreneurs in the companies, like people like me, like when I was like, I I didn't have a huge team working on the content all the time, but I had a really important uh, presentation that I worked on and put my heart and soul into for three months, right? Like, can we support that individual uh, to be successful inside whatever company they're in? And then if we do that, it will sort of take take off sort of our, our thesis and it's working right now. So we, we're able to, like, it almost doesn't matter. We have, you know, super successful companies in insurance, to your point. You know, that's kind of one of your areas that, you know, we didn't know the employee benefits world that well, but all of a sudden we had one employee benefits uh, broker just use it for themselves, use it for marketing, for selling and delivering things like open enrollment, uh, educational content for their clients, which is important in the U.S., and um, they had so much success that then they started um, a, a reselling business uh, for related to two people just like them to begin with, right? And now it's expanding. And so, and the we found that this relatively small employee benefit kind of um, you know brokers and agencies they deliver this great now employee experience for their clients. And they they're very sticky. They in sense that they like the the service. They use a lot. They use a lot of capabilities. And we're like, this is amazing, right? Like the for and like all I need to do is just have one person who kind of cares about content, where it's like a slightly, you know, maybe not hundred percent of their day, but it's like maybe forty percent of their job is to kind of think about, you know, how to create content. So they could be a marketing, dedicated marketing person or or like a you know project manager. And um, that really opened our eyes that if the industry is complex, right, if the com- message is complex, then the size of the company may not matter as much. It's the complexity that matters. And, you know, guess what? Who were like the happiest users of our AI capabilities are um, these, these boutique uh, uh, brokers who have to kind of go and explain, well, you know, on this policy, you know, you can't control F through, you know, through 50 PDF to find, you know, to find the right answer. But you kind of can ask a question and get from, you know, 50 particular assets that are relevant to this client, you know, what's the best um, page to get, you know, both initial answer, the deep dive contextual answer on some kind of uh, healthcare benefit that's very particular and could be very important, like let's say fertility benefits. 
people really yeah. want to understand what those are. It's a life and you know future decision for people, and and, and being able to answer that question is really important. And so Indeed. we can enable enable that, and and you know help people help. And you know, as you know from your experience in insurance, like I think every insurer aspires not to be just a piece of paper, you know, to um, to their kind of to their customers and, and future customers. And so this is where uh, we enable that. But again, the organization itself is small, and so we're we're I think back to democratization, right? If you make something compelling enough and easy enough to use. You could work with the largest organizations and their most important projects, but you could uh, work with anybody who tries to war- make complex simpler. That's superb. Um, and, and it's important, I think, for you to have explained this example in insurance, because yes, this is an industry I've served for many years and I'm, uh, I'm going to continue serving, that the industry right now needs to go through a bit of a reinvention as uh, how is they educate their customers how brokers educate customers, but also as insurers educate consumer, direct to customer, but also their brokers and how they actually put the the right tools and technology and techniques in their hands to be actually much more, you know, to communicate in a simple way. Education is critical today. And I think it's a way some company win and some company failed because we need to remove that complexity and the customer is asking to actually be educated even before they start buying any products and services. So from a market landscape and growth, actually, Alex, you already mentioned the the word AI. We are in the world of generative AI. How does it fit in the future of Relay2, in the current and the future of Relay2? Because you just gave us an amazing example as to how that enabled an agent to be much more responsive to his his or her customers um, by enabling them to understand the clothes and being able to explain what is covered or not in the policy mm-hmm. yeah well we've we've always been using you know pre-current excitement about ai we've always kind of been um thinking well how can we uh take certain patterns from what we see and use different multiple modes of ai to improve it so for example one of the strategies for many of our customers is like hey i work i can create this beautiful powerpoint but then before i share it with the customers you know i have to create this really sad looking version of it that's flat because it has no animations anymore no augmented storytelling and i um because that's what pdf doesn't support that right and uh and so one of the first things that we've done is we actually enabled one click AI animations on a page that actually allow you, hey, I just create this page in, you know, in whatever tool, and then I animate it in relate to, and you could do really custom animations that are more like bespoke, but you could also use the AI magic and then tweak that. Um, and so people really love that uh, because our brains, human brains are wired uh, to pay attention to things that move, right? And so if you want to draw attention to your content, you need to create movement, it needs to be pleasant, so we had to train the AI to make it pleasant versus annoying. And so that's kind of an application around computer vision where you see what's on uh, what's on there and, and you kind of start start creating uh, pleasant experiences based on recognizing what's a background, what's a foreground. The second related to this is like, can you recognize, it's very simple, but super powerful. Um, can you recognize the background, what's a background on an image and replace it with a video? 
So you get a static image replaced with a pre-approved brand video, or we have a library of videos that kind of do the background pages. And so when you open your experience at the very beginning of Relate to, you're not greeted with a static page. You're greeted with a emotionally connected video that fits and supports your message, but still, you know, knows that the message is what's important. So the video is in the background. It automatically replaces, that doesn't replace your text. It replaces the, the background, the, the static background. And so these are little things, right? But they matter. The, the other thing that people typically get lost in, the, in, in navigation, right? How do I navigate intelligently um, you know, a hundred page document, right? So we can use AI to generate smart table of contents that are dynamic, that have sub items. Uh, and that actually, historically, we use the other techniques and we use now open AI APIs to, to support that where, where that's the best strategy. It's not always in our view, the best strategy for everything because sometimes you may get better data by you know finding the table of contents page and reading that and intelligently interpreting where that is. And sometimes you don't have the table of contents page, so you have to let the AI figure it out and you know create the structure. So these are examples that are very real, and you we don't go and advertise them like it's AI, but they're kind of designed to help you go from zero to hero in terms of digital experience, where you bring this analog PDF for presentation, and all of a sudden you have a, a digital experience that looks a lot more like a modern website. But I think the main theme behind this, and my, I have a bit of a challenge to the generative AI. We use it, but I think the generative AI as a discipline too has too much focus on, on creation. And we talked about that earlier, right? Like the first generation of productivity tools were all about like, I'm just going to help you, you know, create a bunch of bullets in PowerPoint. I don't care if people actually want to read those bullets, if, if it will, but I'll help you create. And so I think um, there's a little bit of a bias that we're focusing too much on creation, too much probably copy right now. And so we're all going to be overwhelmed with pseudo personalized, uh, not particularly, you know, easy to digest uh, copy uh, or easy to stand out. And I think what we're moving towards is a built generative AI is a building block to interactive AI. And interactive AI is all about how do you actually, you know, solve a customer problem, right? How do you how do you use AI to create a human-like connection? Uh, and that's that's sort of the vision that we have. And you definitely need to use uh, generative technology in this, but it's I don't think it's sufficient. Then you need to start with again with the consumer in mind and work backwards versus starting with, I'm going to help you create spammy email uh, things at unprecedented scale because I'm using AI. We don't think that's the answer um, to the message being well-received. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating, interactive AI. And, and yes, I think today, when you look at the generative aspect of things around text and audio and um, video, People are actually playing and, and trying to understand what the technology can provide and how they, it can augment one's roles. I think it's very important to be responsible when we use it and always have a human in the loop. You know, we all are going to, as we are trialing and experimenting yeah. with the technology, 
have good experiences and less good experiences, actually. But we need to go through that journey and actually start putting some guardrails as to you know what is actually good use of responsible AI and what is less good use of it. So it's interactive, it's generative, but it has to be responsible. When you look at it as well, you know, mm-hmm. at this interactive AI and this future. So, you know, let's imagine really two in five to 10 years time from now, what mm-hmm. does success look like for you? What is your long-term vision and mission that drives you today? And maybe add more to this interactive world where technology is going to be critical for us to grow and scale. Well, I think at a very fundamental level, we want to be the interactivity layer of Internet and all important communications that haven't made it into the internet, right? Like, so if you think PowerPoint fundamentally, that's a pre World Wide Web technology still, right? It was built from from before we started using browsers, right? And so we are bringing that into the internet and becoming the interactive um, layer on top of that. Uh, and I think the the um, the big the big idea behind it is uh, it's you know help large portion of, of humanity to engage with big complex ideas so our number is one billion it is an arbitrary number I'll, I'll, you know but it is like how do we help one billion people to create uh, important ideas and to help you know their audience engage with those ideas this is what underlines us and that's why the democratization is really important and wh- whether it's working with small organizations or with very large organizations who touch you know you know touch a very large audience. Um, the role of technology, I think, is something that uh, I think needs to be supportive of the mission. Uh, and I think the, you know, so you've, you, you've heard me describe several terms that we use within Relate to. They're all kind of sets of technologies or buzzwords, if you want to call. So, you know, we are software as a service company. We're in, you know, artificial intelligence, whether it's generative or interactive AI. We kind of we're on that journey of using multimodal AIs as long as they support the fact that customers don't want to engage only with one medium. Customers are different, right? They they have different preferences. Some people are visual, some people are auditory, some people are kinesthetic. They need to touch. So we want to engage different users, and we want to engage them in the like at a different point in time. A different person, same person, may want to engage with content very differently depending on where they are in the journey. And so that sort of is the fundamental uh, value of where we see technology come in is that it sort of enables us to uh, delight the customer. And, you know, when, you know, again, back to the mission, uh, you know, we keep thinking of like, well, great. So we're gonna go land on, on Mars and we're gonna build a civilization on Mars. Will, PDFs help us get there this fast. I don't know. Like, maybe, like I think maybe, like maybe some people would be more open, uh, excited about the mission if the communications were easier to digest and understand. And then it would be kind of, you know, disappointing to to conquer kind of the the bigger aspirations of humanity, but that gets stuck on something that's fundamental agent of human progress, which is how do we communicate at scale and at distance. So if you think about relate to it, going back to uh, the foundation, the mission um, of any communication medium is 
is to figure out like an like a more efficient way for people to engage and distribute that medium. And I think the interactivity drives engagement, the asynchronousity, right? Like, can I create an experience around a conversation with somebody? Like, let's say a conversation with me, but that could be asynchronous and yet still feel very human. Uh, you know, and so what is the combination of technology that that's required to do that? That's sort of is the um, something that's always going to be flexible uh, and always will serve the mission. Uh, that's sort of the way we see the world, because the AI will change. And even we've seen from our early applications some things that we were really working hard on, you know, two years ago are much easier to do now. So in some areas you want to be on the cutting edge, in some areas you want to be a fast follower. And you know, quick adapter of of whether it's a no code software, SaaS, or AI. Fascinating. Well, Alex, thank you very much for coming on to Scouting for Growth. Please tell us where can we find you. So, if people want to find a bit more about Alex Sivilenko, where do they go? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so LinkedIn, Shevelenko, just last name. Uh, you get a minor in Ukrainian if you get to spell it, but it's S-H-E-V-E-L-E-N-K-O, uh, Alex. And um, uh, and Relay2, you know, we, we have a website, Relay2.com, um, and we hope you sign up. There's a free version, so you could check it out for yourself, see what, what's possible. And obviously, um, you know, we, as you heard, we we can support organizations of different size uh, around their needs. And um, we encourage you to do it. We encourage, uh, even if you don't think you, we're good for fit for you necessarily, we're happy to support your mission. If you, if you care about your ideas, you care about bringing them to life, um, you know, I'm happy to help and relate to team is happy to help. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for joining me on Scouting for Growth. And I cannot wait to see you soon. Thanks, Sabine. Always a pleasure. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.